Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is our episode number 132, recorded on August 27th, 2019. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. And if you're listening on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show. Today we will talk about DeepMind and Google, about Starship technologies, about location sharing apps, the European Future Fund, and much more. I am your host, Andrei Degler, joined today by our research lead, Natalie Novik. Hey, Natalie, how is life? Hi, Andre. It's going well. We're in the middle of Turing Fest here in Edinburgh, and it's already gotten off to a great start. I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. And you're not in Groningen this week, are you? No, not at all. I am actually also at an event. I'm in Copenhagen at the Digital Frontrunner. So today was the day zero, uh, let's say, of the event. So we just had to, uh, time to talk to a few people and tomorrow uh, the main uh, program will start. We're also recording uh, at an unusually late uh, time, in uh, late in the evening. It's uh, 11 p.m. Uh, local time. So thank you, Natalie, for uh, joining me this late That's our dedication here. The show must go on. Something else, if you're in Denmark next week, it is the fall events are just getting kicking off again for the year. And next week is Tech Festival in Copenhagen, which will be taking place from September 5th through the 7th, where there will be over 16,000 curious minds in attendance looking to answer some of tech's big questions. And there's over 200 events Um, it's a really great event. There's really something for everyone. So if you're looking to get your event season off to a great start, Tech Festival in Copenhagen next week. Right. So it seems like Copenhagen is actually going to be a... Um center of gravity for uh, uh, for the European tech for the next few weeks, because afterwards there is the tech barbecue on which both of us uh, are coming. And that's the second week of uh, September, right? That's right. And I'm really looking forward to that event. It's such a great event, uh, nonprofit and really for the community and brings a great crowd of people. And we'll be taping a few live podcasts. Right. So you listening to this can expect some uh, specials uh, from us finally sitting in one room and not uh, being connected uh, through uh, video chat as we usually are. Now, let us move on and uh, get to today's, tonight's agenda. Uh, the stories and interviews of last week, I will start with uh, what I saw, thought was interesting. So last week, one of the bigger news stories uh, was that of uh, Mustafa Suleiman, uh, the co-founder of uh, DeepMind in the UK, which is now part of Google. So the media learned uh, that Suleiman was placed on a leave of absence with very little good explanation of why. So Suleiman, who co-founded DeepMind, together with his friend, uh, neuroscientist Demis Hassabis, has been in charge of the so-called applied part of the company's effort. That is actually using its research to solve real-life challenges. And the biggest part of this applied department uh, is the healthcare division, as DeepMind has been very active in working in this particular field. 
And of course, uh, apart from that, DeepMind is uh, very well known to uh, wider public for its AI research that was demonstrated on examples of uh, uh, the machine-beating humans at uh, games of Go and StarCraft. Uh, DeepMind's research is focused in general on a technique called deep reinforcement learning that combines, well, deep learning and reinforcement learning. And as far as I understand, DeepMind actually uh, were the ones who coined uh, the term uh, in the first place. Now, let me take a step back and quickly run through the story of uh, DeepMind and the most recent developments that we have heard about. And the startup was founded in 2010 and acquired by Google in 2014 for a reported 650 million US dollars. And uh, back in the day, the deal was received quite positively, I think, by the European community as we usually uh, are quite positive about uh, exits of uh, European startups, especially as promising as uh, uh, DeepMind. So after the acquisition took place, uh, DeepMind has maintained that it operates independently of its parent Google and is not pressured to achieve any particular financial goals. And things seemed generally okay up to until 2016, when a controversy broke off regarding a data sharing agreement uh, between DeepMind and the NHS in the UK. A long story short, the problem was that DeepMind obtained way more data than was actually necessary uh, for its application to function properly. And uh, this whole controversy has been going on uh, for years uh, since. Now, then in 2018, uh, the Google Health unit has absorbed the health part of DeepMind, which also was met with a lot of skepticism, pretty obviously. At the time, uh, Wired UK quoted Julia Powells, a law and tech researcher at New York University's School of law, saying that the move was, uh, I quote, pretty much everything we have been worried about since the start of this deal making, the quote ends. She also said that she is concerned of, the quote begins, Google gaining unprecedented access to the best repository of health information on the planet, that of the NHS, in a way that patients have zero control over, the quote ends. So DeepMind, of course, uh, said that nothing could go wrong and the data protection was the company's priority and uh, everything else that uh, startup of, startups of today would say uh, in this uh, in this particular case. After that, uh, Suleiman was reportedly removed from the day-to-day operations of the health unit at DeepMind. So closer to the present day, uh, we have recently learned how much money DeepMind has burned over the past three years. And it turns out that it's more than 1 billion US dollars. Uh, more precisely, the company lost $154 million in 2016, then uh, $341 million in 2017, and then $572 million in 2018. So the magnitude is increasing. Um, so I wouldn't say these losses are actually a problem per se, though. Uh, after all, I would also assume that one of the important reasons why Suleiman and Hasabis uh, wanted to sell to Google was to get access to this sort of money to burn on research without being expected uh, to have any financial returns in the short uh, term. Uh, but as a piece of the puzzle, I think it may be important. And also, in addition to that, according to uh, other reports, uh, DeepMind actually owes Google a lot of money. It's more than $1 billion on top of the rest of its losses. And finally, back to the story at hand. It was reported last week that uh, Suleiman was placed on a leave of absence, uh, which was a joint decision by himself and Google. And the spokesperson for DeepMind said that but, uh, I quote, Mustafa is taking time out right now after 10 hectic years, the quote ends. But of course, a lot of speculation started going on in the media uh, pretty much immediately. 
What I like is uh, the overview on the FT in which Madomita Murgia makes a point that the autonomy of DeepMind within Google certainly won't be as great as it used to be looking forward. And it's also probable that Google would want DeepMind to get back to its initial focus on solving the artificial general intelligence. And this is something that's defined as the intelligence of a machine that has the capacity to understand or learn any intellectual task that a human being can. So I would further assume here, by the way, that within a couple of years, we may see Mustafa Suleiman in the founder's role again in another startup, since DeepMind doesn't really seem to be a great place for him anymore. So Natalie, what do you think about this story? Yeah, so writing on Twitter, Mustafa writes, I'll quote here, there's been some speculation over the last 24 hours about what I'm up to. After 10 hectic years, I'm taking some personal time for a break to recharge, and I'm looking forward to being back in the saddle at DeepMind soon. Um, and the tweet ends. I'm not sure what we're going to see next from him, but I really hope he comes back, not necessarily to DeepMind, but somewhere um, in the ecosystem again, because he has a really inspirational story. And it's something that um, I think it can give a lot of hope to different people. And he really is someone that keeps a hold of a, his values and and tries to combine it with business in an ethical way. Um, really interesting guy. Um, and it'd be interesting to see where he lands next. Yeah, indeed. And as far as I understand, uh, he also over the past uh, uh, months, uh, he was actually sitting on uh, one of the sort of committees uh, within uh, within Google's uh, structure to basically vet uh, some projects uh, on the uh, ethics uh, ethics grounds. Right. And, and he is, um, very much an activist at heart. And you see that kind of in his communication and how he positions himself online. Um, and that was a big part of why he set up DeepMind in the first place. So it will be, um, a big loss, I think, if he's not, um, in, participating in this company anymore but it'll be interesting to see where he goes yeah. next that tweet however does not uh, come across as very sincere to be entirely honest yeah it does kind of seem to speculate that he will be back um at deep mind but the press doesn't seem to think that that's the case it does seem a bit corporate um speak very different from most of his other tweets right Okay, let's move on then. Uh, what was uh, what was your story of the past week? Yeah, so there were a number of really interesting deals um, announced last week in Europe. For example, Mr. Specs, which is the Berlin-based online glasses retailer, they raised 65 million euros. And the Swiss-based fintech numbers, that's numbers without the E, they raised a $40 million round. But the one round that I wanted to talk about this week was a $40 million Series A that went to Starship Technologies. And in case you don't know, uh, Starship Technologies is an Estonian company that builds delivery robots. They are six-wheeled, white and black rectangular robots that roll quite close to the ground. And when they arrive at their destination, the top lid flips up, revealing the contents of whatever you're having delivered. And they can be used in a number of different applications, both indoor and outdoor. And currently they're employed in food delivery across a number of college campuses in the United States, some golf courses, and they're also working in commercial applications in large work sites. In Estonia, you can see them operate on a number of public paths and sidewalks, and people are quite accustomed to them there. They're, they're very well known. And since they were founded, the company has completed more than 100,000 commercial deliveries for customers in the U.S. and in Europe. 
And since I travel frequently to Estonia, I've been following the journey of Starship robots for a number of years now. And they're really quite visible in Tallinn, especially. And it's impossible really not to know of them. In May, I had a chance to visit visit Starship's headquarters in Tallinn to learn a bit more about what they're working on, really in advance of this funding deal. And Starship is a company that stands out to me because it's an example of the real knock-on effect that successful exits can have on an ecosystem. The company was founded by ex-Skype engineers in 2014. So that's five years ago now. And just now they're raising the round that they're calling their Series A funding. And it's just an indication that all types of startups operate on their own timelines. But it also points to the deliberate and careful way that the company is building itself. When I met with them earlier this summer, they shared how there is a considerable demand for their products from a variety of potential partners. But the company has really chosen to grow carefully and slowly. They want to be very sure of the product before these robots head out into the world. And the company is quite choosy about who it comes to when entering into a new partnership. But with this new funding, Starship Technologies has announced they're going to be expanding to over 100 college campuses in the U.S. in the next two years. So with an expansion strategy that is focused on the U.S. versus Europe, it might not be a surprise that the latest funding round was led by an American firm um, called Morpheus Ventures, and they are based out of Los Angeles. But even with a lot of growth happening abroad, I think it's really important for us to recognize Starship as a real European startup success story. And while we don't talk about success too much in startups, we're much more comfortable in tech, I think, to recognize failure. I think it's important to highlight how far a company like Starship has gone and what they've achieved, especially coming from Estonia with such a small home market. With their founding in 2014, they were one of the first worldwide to develop a commercial delivery robot years before Amazon, which today is one of their most significant competitors. So they're really going to need this funding for, for the next part of their journey. And if you have a look at an Amazon delivery robot, the Scout, which was launched about two years ago, it's impossible to miss its more than passing resemblance to the Starship robot. They're relatively the same size, they have the same number of wheels, and about the same shape. But when asked about it, Starship had a very magnanimous response. And speaking to The Verge, I'll quote here, We're huge believers in an autonomous delivery robots. As the company that created this category, it's great to see others realizing the potential. And the quote ends. And this is a kind of a related to a question that I asked them when I was um, in Estonia earlier this summer. And they had a very similar response, just being very welcoming and generous to the competition, um, but also being real pioneers in this field. Yeah, I was also really surprised to see that uh, photo of the Amazon uh, Amazon robot because uh, I, I saw the Starship uh, robots, I think, from the prototypes uh, at some conferences uh, back in the day, and it was really surprising uh, to see how similar they are. Definitely. And the company that Amazon acquired that was producing the st- of producing the Scout robot, um, they actually, in in some of their early marketing materials and in conversation with those founders, they actually mentioned being inspired by Starship's <laughs> products uh, to building their company. So it's very interesting kind of the, the direction there, but Starship definitely was one of the first and has been on the road longer than, than anything that Amazon's um, working with now. 
I wonder if we're, if we're going to see even more companies uh, uh, building similar uh, things in the future if this turns out to be the, the optimal uh, form factor, let's say, for, uh, for this sort of delivery machines. And also, like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to repeat this, what I uh, said earlier on Twitter about uh, recognizing uh, Starship as the European success story. What I really didn't find that great is that it doesn't seem like uh, uh, the company itself actually cares that much about, uh, mm, let's say, delivering the message about them being at least of European descent, let's put it this way. Because if you look at the press release, for example, uh, on the company's website, it does not really mention Estonia anywhere at all. And then I just uh, tried to go on a tech meme and see what stories were linked to this uh, uh, news about the funding round. And out of, uh, I think, nine stories, there were only two uh, mentioned in Estonia at all, uh, one of which uh, said that they have a... Uh, uh, R&D center in Estonia and the other I think mentioned uh, that uh, they're of Estonian origin. So there is certainly an attribution problem going on and I've been talking about it uh, for a long time. Uh, like I started, I think, talking about it a few years ago, but that was mostly for startups coming from Eastern Europe, particularly from Ukraine, where I'm from, because a lot of startups, I can see whether they go to uh, Western Europe or to the US, they would kind of... Uh, severe the ties uh, with the country they are from. But now I can see the same thing going on with uh, startups moving uh, from Europe to the US. And I'm not sure if this is a conscious decision, but like at some point you just sort of uh, cease to recognize the European origins. Is that something you see too? I think this um, point about attribution is really important, especially when we're trying to do any sorts of figures and data for these companies. How do you know? So of Starship's two founders, one is a Danish origin and one is Estonian. The company was originally set up in Tallinn, but they do have a very big office in Washington, D.C. now. They have offices in London as well, um, and I think also on the West Coast of the United States. So these co companies will always grow to be transnational entities, but how do you determine which is an Estonian company or which is a European company? I don't think it's so meaningful for companies today that they really have to have this attribution that... Um, but it does complicate things when we're talking about data, we're talking about where funding is going um, and and those sorts of things. I think that's that's a real challenge. Yeah, I think this problem uh, comes up every time you talk to uh, anyone who does uh, research in this in this category, like how do you attribute these uh, deals? Uh, how do you uh, understand which uh, which country the company should be attributed to? And if you attribute to two countries, then it's also not always the the greatest uh, uh, solution, right? Definitely, because things can be double counted or only counted in one place or one deal that's done. Um, at an earlier part of the company's life cycle can be attributed to one country and then a later <laughs> one to another. It is really challenging and it's a real problem with, with data, especially when we talk about where funding is going. But I think it's fair to say that Starship has a European origin. For sure. But since the companies don't really care about it, we will have to find a solution ourselves. <laughs> I wouldn't expect them to make it any easier for us. No, I agree with you there. 
Okay, let's go to another topic. Uh, with the recommendation part of the podcast, I wanted to uh, suggest a nice piece that I have actually had bookmark, bookmarked uh, for about a month already. Uh, the piece is called The Terrible Anxiety of Location Sharing Apps. And it's a good overview of uh, how the location sharing technology has come into our lives in many ways over the past couple of years. And uh, it ranges from sharing your trip progress on Uber uh, with your friends or a basically sharing your location with your family on Google Maps continuously or doing the same thing somewhere else. And I have to say that I cannot fully relate to the terrible anxiety part, uh, although I do believe that a lot of people can uh, feel this way. And why I wanted to bring it up uh, today uh, is that, that I've just read the news that Instagram is about to launch a new app that's called Threads. Uh, did, you, did you read about it, Natalie? I haven't, no. And I don't use Instagram either, so it wasn't oh, yeah, right. something that I um would have come across my my radar so this could be apparently like potentially the big new thing another one so the app is called thread it's supposed to be like a companion app uh, uh, for instagram and one of the main features in it is that uh, it's reportedly gonna uh, allow for uh, location sharing uh, between like the groups of close friends uh, or family and so on so it probably makes sense to read this piece on wired again and remember about using this kind of thing in moderation or at least try not to overreact too much uh, when uh, that technology is not perfect and it shows you that your loved ones are stuck uh, somewhere 10 kilometers from where they should be. And uh, as uh, someone who is actually using this technology on a daily basis, I, I can say that it does happen pretty often that, uh, the, uh, that there are like some bugs or whatever malfunctions. So it's, uh, it's something that uh, gets, uh, uh, that requires some getting used to. Well, I'll definitely be sure to check that out. And for my story this week, uh, it's more of a tease from Politico, who's got their hands on a leaked document, supposedly from the European Commission's Transition Committee for Ursula von der Leyen, the next commission president. So they talk about a 173-page document, which lays out a number of different initiatives that the commission wants to put on the new president's priority list. And one of these is the, quote, European Future Fund, end quote. So the European Future Fund proposes a 100 billion euro wealth fund to support European champions against American and Chinese business rivals such as Google, Apple, and Alibaba. So while we don't have a lot of details yet, 100 billion euros would be an incredible game changer for the tech ecosystem in Europe. I mean, the there's going to be a lot of controversy if this is the right move for the commission to get involved in, but it might be a sign of some really exciting things to come with the next commission that will be taking their seats very, very soon. So it's something that I think we should all have a look at and think about what um, make up our minds if this is something that's good or something that is maybe more controversial, but there's no telling that this would have an incredible impact on the ecosystem. Wow, I totally missed this one, but 100 billion euros is a lot of money. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not that convinced that just the money can solve the issues of the European ecosystem. Right. And I don't think it is a silver bullet either, but I know there's a lot more um, in this document of things that they want um, the president to be working on. I think it goes all the way into putting beehives on top of commission buildings, which it kind of talks about how granular some of these recommendations are. But 
this idea that, you know, we don't have yet the European Amazon or European Tencent, like the idea that maybe the commission looking at some sort of public funding option, that might be what it takes. Um, it would be very interesting to see what would transpire if that actually came to pass. Well, I just hope that there is a good strategy uh, that comes together with uh, uh, this kind of uh, kind of fund. And I do believe that there are people who are able to uh, both create this strategy and implement this strategy. So I, ju I just hope it's there. Yeah, so something um, very interesting to keep your eyes on and um, definitely something we'll be following here at tech.eu. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would also love to see the document. I don't think it's published, but uh, I, I would love to read it. Yeah, I looked for it and there really isn't too much that Politico is giving away yet. So um, hopefully we'll see more in the next coming days and weeks. Yeah, sure. Right. As for ourselves, it is time for us to wrap it up. That's it for today's podcast. I do hope you enjoyed listening to us today. And if you did, do tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That's sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at andri at tech.eu and natalie at tech.eu. Natalie, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for having me, Andre. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.